This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Shavua Tov and uh, Shana Tova. Today is Tobi Shvat, and um, it's a very, very special day on the Jewish calendar. And as always, I love synchronicity. Um, I'm sitting here preparing my Chumash. We are in uh, Genesis, in the book of Bereshit, Parshas Vaera. And um, what I wanted to teach today actually has a tremendous amount to do with the, the the very verses that we are learning right now. And so I'm not going to spend too much time going through too many verses, but I'm certainly going to spend some time just learning about not only Tobi Shvata, but the entire relationship that we have around food. You know, food is very, very important for us Jewish people. Um, you know, those jokes of... Um, how do we describe our holidays? You know, we beat them, we ate, you know, we came out of Egypt, we ate, you know, we, we, we eat all the time and food certainly does play a principal part in our lives. But as, as always, food, besides it being principled to our culture and to who we are as a people, it has a lot of mystical, um, significance to it and a lot of spiritual benefit. We're doing a lot. When we eat food, not only, you know, um, piling in the calories and maybe becoming a little bit overweight, um, messing up our cholesterol, etc. So today's um, shear, so to speak, today's program is going to discuss everything to do. Well, not almost everything. I'll try to cover everything to do with food and the idea of Tubishvat, the ideas of making blessings. As always, I invite you to partake in this discussion. You can ask a question, make a comment. Uh, you can even uh, disagree with me. I don't mind that. You can SMS on 34519, telegram on 0618951019. So our bouncing point that we are going to take off now is chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, verse 9. That is really where we are going to stop. We're going to learn one verse and then um, understand this entire idea about food. Verse 9 reads as follows, If you recall from um, our previous podcast, we were at the point where three strangers came to visit Abraham on a very hot day while Abraham was trying to recover from his circumcision. He notices that they're, they're very interesting characters. They're not the run of the mill. He goes beyond the call of duty and he goes and prepares for them a lavish meal, albeit that he said he was only going to give them a bit of bread and water. And we ended off that they then sat under the tree and he basically watched them eat um, the, the, the food. And then what happens is, is after they've eaten, they say to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And, and he responds, Abraham, Sarah is in the tent. Now, um, we're told that the one angel, Angel Michal, um, began this conversation. He's the one that uh, asks, where is your wife, Sarah? And what does what do we learn from this? Well, we learned the modesty of Sarah. She was 90 years old. Um, she was still a very, very beautiful woman, but she remained inside a tent and she didn't say a word. Now, this might, you know, pick the woman feminists out and, and, and make you quite angry. 
Um, and it's not to be so. It's really to understand that it says the modesty of the woman is on the inside, that one of the strengths of a woman is not necessarily to be in your face, but rather to do things in a um, quiet way, in a modest way. And this was why Sarah was in the tent. She wasn't going to go and sit and have this whole board meeting with three strangers. She left that up to her husband, Abraham. But the, the Midrash and, 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 and the Yalkut Ma'am Loez in particular goes into it more and says that the angel was asking, where is your wife, Sarah? Because he wanted to give her the cup of blessing that they had made, that they had recited when they had done Birkat HaMazon, when they had made grace after meals. Why? Because we know that once one has finished um Eating bread, it is customary to hold a full cup of wine in one's hand while reciting the Birkat Amazon. It's called the the Kosa Brocha, and um, they had they they had they had eaten bread, they had recited the grace, and now they wanted to give that Kos Brocha to everybody that was around, including Abraham's wife. And so they said, "Where is your wife?" Um, because they wanted to 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 let her partake. Now, there's a few practical um, lessons we can learn from this. That first of all, no matter how little one eats, one is obligated, according to Torah, to make a blessing before, and then, of course, there is a blessing afterwards. There's a bracha rishona, a first blessing, and a bracha achrita, an end blessing. And this is when we are eating absolutely anything, um, from water all the way to the fanciest of foods. There is a blessing for each and every single thing that we eat. So before we get into understanding a little bit more about uh, the kos bracha, the Cup of blessing. Let's go and understand what the what are the blessings and when do we say them. Now I'm going to make a um, disclaimer over here. I am not giving you all the halachot of blessings of brachot, and this you have to speak to a competent rabbi about. There are some anomalies. I'm going to be discussing it in a very general way, but just so that everybody gets a picture of what it is that we say and what we do. So, in general, we basically have um, five blessings, and it's divided as follows. If we are eating fruit of the tree before we eat the fruit, we will say the blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed you, God, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, King of the Universe, Boire Pri Ha'etz. He who created was the creator of the fruit of the tree. And that falls into category of most fruit that we eat. However, there are exceptions such as watermelon or fruit that grow out of the ground. So if you have, um, for example, a watermelon, you will not say Borei Priha Eitz because it did not come from a tree. It came from the ground. You would then say the blessing Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu melech haolam. They all start the same way. Borei pri ha'adama. Blessed are you, God, King of the universe, who is the creator of the fruit of the soil. So whilst we will say that fruit has one blessing, 
vegetables have another blessing. Nevertheless, sometimes, particularly in the fruit range, um, there will be certain fruit that we actually um, grow from the ground. Another example would be strawberries. You will not say beret pre eight. You will say beret pre adama. As a general rule, though, any fruit beret pre eight or vegetables beret pre adama. Then we land up with a category of those things which we will know in our normal lexicon as gluten, wheat, barley. Oats, rye, and spelt, anything that is primarily made of any of the five glutens, um, we say the blessing bure mine mizonot. And that, of course, then covers all your cakes, your biscuits, and anything made from flour. If it is the majority of the substance, again, I'm telling it to you again in a general uh, way we will make the blessing blessed 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 are you god king of this universe boire mine mizanot you are the creator of various nourishing foods and after the break we are going to talk about another two blessings um of another two categories of food this is mystical text with Adel Kazilski Welcome back, and we're in the discussion of blessings that we make on food. Just before the break, we spoke about fruit, on which we say beret priha eights, vegetables beret priha adama, and anything from the gluten range, wheat, barley, oat, rye, or spelt, we say the blessing beret minemas or not, and that really covers all your bakery um, stuff. Then we have the blessing that is specific to grapes, wine, um, grape juice, we say bure pre hagafen. I think that's perhaps or hagafen, depending on your uh, custom. That perhaps is the one of the most famous blessings because we all know it when we say kiddush on Friday night or any time that we have to make a blessing on wine. We say the blessing baruch atah Hashem elokeinu melech haolam bure pre hagafen or hagafen. So we've we've kind of isolated the fruit, we've isolated the vegetables, we've isolated the bakery goods, the gluten goods, we've isolated the wine. Then what happens to everything else um, that we eat? Sweets, fish, eggs, meat, cold drinks, things that do not fall under the category that is grown in the soil, grown in uh, on a tree. Um, it's not grape, and it's not made of the five. Um, Five gluten um, species. Well, we have a general blessing that reads as follows: Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu Melech Haolam. Again, blessed are you, God, King of the Universe. Shehakol Nihia Bidvaro. That through through you or through or everything through whose word all exists. So we basically take anything that does not fall in the other categories. And we make a blessing, shahakol. Some people say shahakol nihiye bidvaro. Others say shahakol nihiya bidvaro. Again, it's a matter of custom. And please consult your rabbi as to the correct way for you. So those are the blessings that we say. There is a hierarchy 
on 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 the blessings as well, but I don't want to really get stuck down. This blessings uh, discussion is actually quite intricate. And what happens if you land up with an apple tart and there's more apple than the tart? Do you say a bereimene mazonot? Do you say a bere priha eight? There are many many aberrations, and perhaps um, a, another time on air, or even better to discuss with. Um, a rabbi, when and if, if you are eating something and you're not sure what you are eating, to ask. Of course, the highest blessing is hamotzi lechem min haaretz, and that is when you are eating bread. Now, just a comment on that, um, because in South Africa, particularly, um, we are spoilt in that we can go to various bakeries and we can buy bread. And we are making the blessing Berei Mineh not on it, as opposed to Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Now, just as a rule, the halacha is that even if you buy Mizonot bread, as we know it, and I'll explain to you the difference between Mizonot bread and Hamotzi bread, but if you are buying Mizonot bread, but you're sitting down to eat a full meal, we are told that it is still a custom that you should wash and say hamoitzi because the bread is the main substance of it. Why do we have a concept called mizonot bread? Well, the answer is is um, dependent on the liquid content, um, liquid content ratio of the bread to water. Standard bread will have most of its liquid content water. And the rabbis will deem it then as hamotzi bread. Um, if, however, you make bread not with water but with other liquids such as eggs, apple juice, etc., then there is no water content to it. So the rabbis then go deem it as being more of a pastry, as more of a bakery item than bread. So just that is just something you should keep in mind. And again. Um, always to consult a rabbi if you are not sure. So the basis of, of, of food is that before a Jew puts something into their mouth, they will say a blessing. And then when a Jew has completed eating, there is another set of blessings, um, depending on what you ate, depending on a hierarchy that we bless God afterwards. So, we are very, very cognizant of the fact that this whole process of eating is something that is spiritual and not only just for the benefit of the body or for, more importantly, for the pleasure of the body. It is something that we need to elevate. Interestingly, um, the Torah is very, very um, connected as well to the cycles of when these fruit and vegetables and stuff that we are putting into our body um, becomes available to us. And there's another two ideas that I'd like to bring um, to your attention. And that is the first of the, the blessing that we will say of Shecheyano. Now, all of us know the blessing of Shecheyano. It is a blessing that we thank God that he has kept us alive um, and that he has brought us to this time. We keep the blessing of Shechechiyanu um, in times where we've arrived at a specific point in time that we are so grateful 
to, 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 to be around. And one of the times that we say this blessing is when we see and or eat a new fruit. So according to Jewish law, we're supposed to recite the blessing Shehechiyanu when we see a seasonal fruit for the first time in the season. But the rabbis hold that because we don't take, we, we don't take pleasure in just seeing the fruit, they say do not say the f- blessing until you eat it. So we know that fruit goes through, uh, through a, a, a seasonal time, um, particularly it's very exciting to say Shechianu in South Africa round about October, November when we get the new fruits of the season, our plums and our nectarines and, and all the gorgeous, delicious, uh, fruit that we get. Um, so when we haven't eaten that fruit for a long time, um, particularly for an entire season, what we would do is we would, um, first take the fruit. For example, let us say that we went through the whole of last year, um, from April last year, from March last year, all the way until November, and we had not tasted a plum. Now we want to eat plum for the first time in the year. Uh, according to most opinions, one recites the blessing Shehechiyanu and then the blessing Berei Pri Ha'etz or Berei Pri Ha'adama. Again, there's a lot of custom. Um, some, and especially in Sephardic communities, have the custom of reciting the blessings in the reverse order. So they would say Berei Pri Ha'etz and then Shehechiyanu. Please consult your rabbi. But to be aware that if you haven't eaten a new fruit, that the blessing of Shechiyano should be said the first time that you taste it. Now, one doesn't recite a Shechiyano blessing on fruit that is available at the local market all year round, even if they are technically seasonal, but you, we find them year round because of refrigeration and uh, new growing techniques or they shipped from other places. We're talking about something that we will not see. We will not eat the entire year and we will see it then in the season that, um, it is, it, it, it is found. Also, just to take, um, into account that one only recites the blessing over new seasonal produce, which means that one does not make a blessing over produce if it's cooked. If it's fried, if it's pickled, if it's dried, um, and it's not evident that it was from the new season. Um, the other is that the blessing is recited for each type of new fruit, even if the fruit was within the same species. So, for example, if you have two fruits that have the same taste but are different colors, then they're considered two different types of fruits. Um, some hold that they need to have different tastes as well. Um, there is a disagreement on hybrid fruits. If you say Shechianu, speak again to the rabbis there. Vegetables, on the other hand, are all year round, and one does not recite a Shechianu on any of them. Um, but remember, I said to you, some of the fruits are a Borei Priyadama, uh, as if they were a vegetable, like berries, certain melons. So then you would say the Shechianu with the Borei Priyadama. 
So not only are we cognizant of what's going in and out of our mouths, we are also very careful of when we are eating it. If it is seasonal, we will add another blessing to this um, whole story. Well, then you can start asking, well, when, when do we count seasons? How do we know what is going on? Well, from a Torah viewpoint, there is a lot of agricultural laws that um, are applicable in the land of Israel. And this brings us to the topic of Tubishvat, which is today. It's the 15th day of the month of Shvat. And it's known as Rosh Hashanah Ha'ilanot. It is known as the new year for the trees. Now, let's actually understand that a little bit more. So, according to the law in the Torah, we have a seven-year agricultural cycle. And at every end of seventh year, it concludes in the Shemitah year, which is considered a sabbatical year. Now, when the temple stood in Jerusalem... Okay, on years one, two, four, and five, the farmer was required to separate a tenth of their produce and go eat it in Jerusalem. This tithing, this donation, was called Maaser Sheni, the second tithe, because it was in addition to a 2% which had to be given to the Kohen and a 10% which was had to be given to the Levite. Now, I told you this happened in years one, two, four, and five. What happened to years three and six? Instead of the owner having to go to Jerusalem to eat Maser Sheni, they gave the second tithe to the poor who were permitted to consume it whenever they wished. When it came to the seventh year, which is the Shemitah year, no tithes were separated because that is like a Shabbos for the um, land and that year, all land becomes ownerless and it's free from everybody. So in understanding that we had to tie the food either for ourselves to go to Jerusalem to eat or tie the food to give to the poor, there was a question. When did the new year start for produce? How do I know when? My tree is producing fruit that this is new fruit for the new season as opposed to old fruit that belonged to the old season. So the rabbis established that a fruit which blossomed before the 15th of Shvat, Tobi Shvat, is produce for the previous year. And if it blossomed afterwards, it was produce for the new year. Now, this is only in fruit-bearing trees, in produce from the trees. Grains, vegetables, legumes have the same new year as the human being, and that is on Rosh Hashanah. This is only for the trees. That's why Tobishvat is called Rosh Hashanah La'ilanot. It is the Rosh Hashanah of the trees. Now, why did the rabbis decide the 15th of Shvat? Well, in the Mediterranean region... The rainy season begins, as we know, with the festival of Sukkot. It takes approximately four months from Sukkot, which is the 15th of Tishrei, until the 15th of Shvat for the rains of the new year to saturate the soil and the trees and produce the fruit. Therefore, the rabbis went and said, all fruit which blossomed beforehand and 
um, are a product of the rains from the previous year and are tithed together with the crops of the previous year and vice versa. Um, all produce that comes from the trees after the 15th of Shvat belonged to the rain that started on the 15th of um, Tishrei, which was Sukkot. And that is uh, the Rosh Hashanah Ilanot, and it helps us then understand what we're doing, particularly with um, our trees and the fruit that we, we, we get from it. Today, it's a custom to... Um, partake of fruit which, which, for which the Holy Land um, is, is praised. That's olives, dates, grapes, figs, and pomegranates. Now, if you were probably in the land of Israel, um, olives, dates, grapes, figs, pomegranates, these could be the fruit um, for the first time of the season. Remember that we need to say a Shechi Yanu on it. But today is an important date um, in where we pay a lot more credence and attention to our environment. Um, if you'd like, this is our biblical environmental day where we understand how important the plant kingdom um, is to, 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 to humans to bring a little bit more attention, a little more focus you know, into our frontal lobes about how important it is that we take care of our environment. And it's been a big custom um, amongst many, many communities to plant more trees on this day in particular, even though it's not, uh, you know, a mitzvah of the Torah. It is a custom for us to go out and plant trees. And um, some people have today a brachot party uh, get together and they go through the various blessings and different fruits that we eat and what they mean. Now, just to understand a little bit more about the uh, mystical significance of of eating and why we have to have these myriad uh, blessings before, afterwards, say Shechianu, if it's new, be careful of the new of of the. The, the new year of the trees, is it before that it produced, is it afterwards? Why all of this, um, all the rules and regulations, what, why do we need to have them? Well, in essence, they're not really uh, rules and regulations, but rather allowing a, a Jew to come to the sensitivity of what food is all about. Today, food has taken on the mantle, and it has been for a long time, but certainly with uh, the modern world and the world of marketing and the world of packaging and et cetera, et cetera, food um, pl plays a central role, but plays a role of, if I could put it in inverted, just a, a, a medium through which we fulfill our desires. And hunger is, is very, very primal to a person, so there is a lot to do around food. Many times, I've got to be honest, I'll sit in a restaurant and just actually think, well, what happened in, in, in days gone by and maybe not 50 years, 100 years ago, I stand to be corrected when the first restaurant, restaurant was created. But certainly from, from a biblical perspective or going back a long, long time, there was no such concept of us going into supermarkets, buying our, our produce, or going more than that, buying ready-made foods, going out to restaurants, hotels, 
those things didn't exist. We were more, very much more connected with the ground, connected with having to grow our produce. Perhaps we went to a fruit market to get our produce, but it was a much more base, baseline uh, connection with the food as opposed to what we have today. And I think then, therefore, the question of why we have so many uh, rules and regulations around the blessings and the connectivity to food um, bears further discussion. So we're going to go for a little bit of a break, and afterwards we will pick up from here. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back, and let's discuss now what what is food. So from a mystical point of view, when one puts on glasses that looks beyond the world and what you see is what you get, we understand that we are part of a whole cycle of elevation that God is expecting us um, to assist and fulfill. What do I mean by that? When we look back at creation, we can see that God started with the inanimate then he created the animate, and then he created man. And in the animate, he started with those things that were simple. We started off with uh, the fruit, the vegetables, the vegetable kingdom. Then he went on to the animal kingdom, and he put man on top of this pyramid. And man is there because we were commanded in the Garden of Eden that we need to work it, we need to guard it. And in very mystical terms, what this meant was not that we should only become farmers and that we should we should look after the land, which is certainly important, but that intrinsically found in every aspect of this world, inanimate and animate, is a spark of godliness. And part of our um, job, a part of our purpose, not part, primarily, most of our purpose is to go out and elevate those sparks. Why? Because this is the purpose of this world, that we should come, and we are coming to that point um, very um, soon uh, with the messianic redemption, to a point where everything that you look at, one can see the essence of God, and one can bring those things that encapsulate and hold the essence of God back to its source. In terms of food, every time we are eating food, let's take, for example, the apple. The apple comes to us, we eat it, and the apple then gets swallowed into our stomachs. It goes through a very, very complex um, process, and it eventually becomes who we are. It becomes part of our blood and our bones and our, our sinews and our, our, our organs, etc., etc. Yes, I am making it very simple, but that's what it is. Food is there in order to nourish us. That's on a practical level. But on a spiritual level, what is really happening is that when a Jew takes an apple, makes a blessing before, connects the apple, the person, to God, what we are doing, our rabbis teach us, is that we are releasing that spark of godliness into the world. Not only are we releasing and allowing the apple to fulfill its purpose. What is it at the apple's purpose? Its purpose is to help the Jew with it, it, uh, their work, his or her work, in elevating God further. So 
We make a blessing on the apple. The apple fulfills its potential because it's now becoming part of the cog of the wheel of elevating the world. The apple then becomes part of who we are. We then take that energy and go out in the world and do a mitzvah. We put on tefillin. We light Shabbos candles. We do an act of goodness and kindness. We visit the sick. We make another blessing. We pray to God. We go out. We live moral and integrous lives. And that energy from that we derive from our bodies in order to fulfill that comes from that animate world, the world of plants and of animals. And therefore, the Torah tells us that when we are doing that uh, blessing before and afterwards, not only is it coming to us because we need to show gratitude, and yes, we do indeed need to say thank you for the abundance that God has given us, not only do we need to connect that which we are eating to God, but we are taking that which we have eaten, we have synthesized it into our body, and we're using it for our own energy in terms of elevating. Therefore, all those laws that we have just gone through in a very, very, um, uh, very rudimentary way, and I challenge everybody out there to go ask your local rabbi to explain more about blessings, and everything that is surrounded uh, with the idea of food, we are actually turning the, the cog wheel of elevating the world further and further and further. There is um, many, many ideas that um, are brought out of rabbis and stories of where people are taking and elevating the fish in front of them, the meat, the vegetable, etc., um, and using it um, for a godly purpose. So that really, in essence, is the idea. And I want to bring it back now to our verse where the um, the, the the prophet Michal, not the prophet, the angel Michal asks, "Where is Sarah, your wife?" Because he wanted her to participate of the kos shel brocha. Now, I just want to, because it's Tobishvat, bring to you an interesting thing that trees in particular paid a tremendous amount, um, of, of, had a, 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 paid a tremendous amount of, uh, importance in the stories of the Torah. And because we have very limited time, I'm just going to whiz past them, but it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. And again, obviously it's connected with Tobishvat. The first is we know that we had the tree of knowledge, good and evil, when God created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. They were allowed to eat of all produce, save of the tree of knowledge, which they were forbidden to eat. And we have the whole story of the serpent enticing Eve to have some fruit, share it with Adam, and innocence was lost from that. And that tree um, <clears throat> actually represents... Um, a certain amount of negativity because that's when death was introduced. Then we have the tree of life because, as we know, after Adam and Eve gained knowledge, God said to him, God said, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing the ability of knowing good and evil. Let him now stretch forth his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat, uh, eat and live forever. Okay, and because they didn't want um, Adam and Eve to do that, God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden, and he stationed cherubim, cherubs, 
and a blade of revolving sword not to allow um, them to come close to the tree. Then we have the post-flood olive tree, because we know ten generations later the descendants of Adam and Eve were so sinful that God flooded the world. When he comes off the... Um, of, of the ark at the end, we know that Noah sent, well, just before, Noah sent a raven, the bird didn't fly far, he circled, he then sent a dove, and the first time the dove left the ark, it, ca- it didn't come with any results, and the second time he came with an olive leaf, and so we have this entire olive tree. Um, that is of interest Then we have the tree as we spoke today Under which Abraham served the angels Okay, And many many say that um, the people of Hebron Know what tree um, it was in fact That Abraham sat under Then we have the tree under which Yaakov buried Shem's treasure We know that when Yaakov um, Yaakov's daughter Dina was raped by Shem. Her brothers Shimon and Levi went and extracted revenge from the city and they helped themselves to the treasures of the city and Yaakov had commanded his family to remove all the idols and he buried them under a tree near Shem. We then have um, a tree called Alon Bachut which is talking about Rebecca's uh, nurse, Devorah. She died and she was buried there. We then have the burning bush from Moshe Rabbeinu, which is a bush, but nevertheless a tree that never got consumed by fire. We have the tree that sweetened Mara, where the Jews complained about the bitter waters. And um, God instructed Moshe to take a piece of wood, which was actually the branch of an olive leaf, put it into the water, and the water became sweet. We then have the 70 palms, um, which we know is about a, a place that the Jews were traveling from Mara. They came to an oasis called Elam. There was 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees there. And, of course, finally, we have uh, Jacob's cedars, which um, he went and... Um, planted when he arrived and before we took uh, Yaakov out of Egypt with Yitziat Mitzrayim, with the going out of Egypt, that is when uh, they were uh, they were cut down to make the coffin for Yosef and for Yaakov. So here are ten historic trees and so you can see that whilst we are dealing again practically in me pointing out physical trees that were around, the tree ultimately represents many, many mystical things. And to end off, um, it says, Ki Adam that a man is compared to a tree, just like a tree has roots and a trunk and it has branches and it has fruits. So too, a man has a past. He has his roots, his ancestry. He has his trunk that who, who, who he is, then his branches of how he and what he creates in this world, and then the fruit of all his labors, hopefully the legacy that he leaves to other people. And with that, I wish everybody a Shana Tova, a happy new year for the trees. And uh, the next time you take a bite into food, stop for a minute Show a bit of gratitude, make a blessing before and afterwards, and connect yourself to elevating this world to a better place. Have a good week.